Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. Today, I'm joined by regular friends of the podcast, Phil Thompson and James Millard. Uh, hey, guys. How are you? Good, buddy. How you doing? Good. How are you? Well, thank you. Yeah. Now, you guys have been on the show a few times. You're a friend of the podcast. You're in the Facebook group. You're financial advisors. You help a lot of the listeners. And we hope everyone's had a good long weekend if you listen live uh, because we're recording this on Thursday, the 1st of April. And we're on my boat in Lake Macquarie, moored next to Poolbar Island, if uh, if you know the area. So, hopefully you guys don't get seasick, but are you guys ready to have a bit of a chat? Ready to go. Yeah, let's do it. So, we've got a few questions while we're having a float, and I thought I would start with a question from Claude. How do you be disciplined in saving when you have multiple casual jobs and hence a variable income each week as opposed to a fixed salary. When saving for a house deposit, where should I be investing my money for a higher return than a savings account? So, two parts to that question, guys. Uh, The first one, how are we structuring our weekly, fortnightly, monthly budget with variable income? And then where are we saving for a house? Budgeting, I I mean, I guess you've got two options. You're probably looking at, is there a minimum that you can work on that you get very comfortable with. The only caveat to that, I, was, I would say, is if it's highly variable and the minimum is way below and it's not an, it's not going to be accurate, we'll dial it up a bit. Maybe look at the average or something like that. Yeah. Phil, what are you doing with variable incomes? Yeah, I think it's, it's super important to have a, a buffer there. So, you sit on a buffer of a, you know, as, as much as you can get. And then, um, as James said, um, spend the minimum you can. And so, you can eat into that buffer if, you know, you've, you have a few weeks with low income. Uh, and then when your weeks of higher income, you can build that buffer back up. Yeah, because in the Glenn James spending plan, it kind of works out that you put your annual expenses in. So, we know how much that it costs us to exist. And then I usually tell people, I think there's a module in there on variable or sporadic income, just you either average it out on the plan because regardless if you got $800 this week or $1,200 next week or $700 the week after and it ebbs and flows, you still need $100 a week for fuel. You still need $100 for food. So your expenses don't change. So I think it's worth having some type of system or even what you could do if you were forever more on an irregular or weird income, what about, you still need to list how much it costs you to live for your expenses, your spending and your savings. What if you did three accounts and each week I just transfer a percentage into those three accounts, whatever the amount that comes in. So, I don't know if there's a wrong answer to that other than you need a system that works for you. 
For sure. It probably depends on what else you're trying to do. Are you contributing to super? Are you investing in a separate investment account? If you're trying to do a bunch of those, then you've got to set your plan at a, at a level that's maintainable on an automated basis. And I think then just if you are at a minimum and you find that you are underdoing it, there's those sound effects are great. I just put the microphone near the water. Yeah. Then, um, then you've got a buffer and or you'll find every couple of months you might have a bonus amount there that you can go and blow or... Yeah, and maybe the more that I think about it, guys, is, you know, we don't factor in savings week on week, but we know that every week I need X amount to live. Anything above that, I'm making another up $700 or $600, anything above that is allocated to savings. So, and this is the crazy thing. These type of questions, I'd be, um, Claude, asking the Facebook group because there'll be lots more other people on weird incomes that will have a system that you can learn from. Yeah. So, the second question is when saving for a house deposit, where should I be investing my money for a higher return than a savings account? Well, I would, I'll put a link in the show notes to the video that I did with Vince Scully about the first home super saver scheme, which is, you know, potentially a great option. But realistically, there's nowhere to really park money for a home deposit that's, you know, going to get you a good return without taking on any risk. Yeah, that's it. You've got to think about how long, how long is it going to take you to save up that house deposit? If you think you're going to buy in the next 12 months, then, you know, the, the biggest value of a bank account is you're not losing any money. And so, making sure that, that the value doesn't decrease is, is super valuable at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, if you've got, I mean... Yeah, a lot of people are saving and they're saving for, they might be setting a goal of five years. Like We've got a bunch of clients that are, say, young doctors, for example, who are in highly vulnerable, well, not vulnerable, but highly flexible positions where they could be remote for a year. They might be moving cities. They might be in another place and there's no way they want to buy a place right now. So, they've got a few years up their sleeve. And so, then you're starting to look at, well, could you put some portion of what you have, maybe it's 50%, maybe it's 100 if you've got long enough into some sort of investment account where you're almost not guaranteed, but there's a really good chance you're going to make a lot more than what it will do sitting in the bank. Yeah. And, you know, Claude, I'm just kind of reading between the lines because there's two polar opposite kind of questions here. And I think, you know, are you in a position to buy a house if your career isn't set up and you've got a solid income? So that's one part of the equation, but we don't know when we get these questions, they could just be completely different and Claude might be finishing, you know, a bit of study and going into a, a career second half of the year. Yeah. And general investment philosophy is if you've got a long time frame, you can start investing. If, you do, if you've got a really short time frame, just chuck it in cash. But I, I often think as well, like the first home super saver scheme, maybe you just flush it through super and not actually contribute regularly. And if it's going to be, oh, in August this year, we're going to buy a house, definitely. Yeah, I'll put 15 grand through super in June and flush it. But yep. I mean, you would get advice on that when and if you need to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff there around tax breaks and, and you know, the benefits of, of doing it or not. But I think generally, if... If they're going to offer, what is it now, then it's the 90-day bank bill rate, which I think is about 0.01% plus 3%, yeah. right? So, you're getting tax breaks in, tax breaks out, and a much better return while you're in there, and it's essentially almost guaranteed. So Yeah. Jeanette has a question. Should I plan on investing in property relying on negative gearing, or will that be phased out? 
Uh, I think it depends on which side of the political spectrum you sit on at the moment, but I reckon I think that's what killed Bill Shorten's last campaign. Yeah, so in 2019, uh, they came out and said, uh, we're ditching franking credits and we're ditching negative gearing. So I'm confident that it probably won't be um, on the chopping block in the immediate future. But with most uh, government legislation and changes, they usually grandfather things. So if you've already got an investment property, it's probably safe. However, they might say, all right, going forward, you can only negatively gear a brand new property or a building that was, you know, to stimulate the economy or something like that. So I I don't know if it's um, a big showstopper, but it goes back to that thing. I don't think the goal is to negative gear investment properties till the cows come home because at some point, if you want to own more than one property, you're running at a loss. So if you want an investment that runs at a loss, well, you'd be negatively gearing. And I just think it's okay to earn an income and pay tax. Yeah. And, you know, you don't, my view is, don't do an investment just because of the tax breaks. I mean, the investment needs to stack up on its own. And then the tax breaks are a helpful, are a bonus. Yeah. So I think I'll just, for those who might be new to the podcast, if um, if I purchased an investment property and the interest repayments on the loan were $20,000 a year and the rent that I received was, I don't know, $18,000 a year, I'm already at a $2,000 loss. So that $2,000 loss, I would claim on tax. So that's kind of how it works. Um, and, and the upside is that the value of that property is going up by more than two grand every year. That's that, and that's the old school kind of mentality. Because there's so many books written in the early 2000s and late 90s, like I've got 150 properties in 10 minutes, and you know it's all a big deck of stack of cards. And uh, but yeah, you really, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to own a property that's making a loss. I'd rather have an asset that is actually making me money. Um, but it goes back to strategy. Do you want to buy? A an older house in a crappy part of town, sit on it for a couple of years, you're thinking there'll be gentrification and I'll take that tax hit because as you said, Phil, in five years time, it's going to be worth 300 grand more and that was okay that I took the five grand a year hit. So it, it all is strategy. Following on from that question, there's one here from Abby Christensen. Are interest-only loans a bad idea? Um. Well, I think it de- obviously it depends on your situation, right? So interest only works really well for keeping the cost down. And if you've got a better place to be putting that money, then then interest only could make a lot of sense. You will pay at the moment, and this hasn't always been the case, and it might change again in the future, but at the moment, bank rates are generally higher for an interest only loan versus a principal and interest loan. So for those new to the podcast, principal and interest being you're paying a little bit off each payment where interest only you're just meeting the commitment to the bank and nothing else. And so if you have, for example, a home loan on the place you live and an investment property debt, then a common strategy is to pay the home loan faster because there's no deduct deduction. So like we we're just talking about with negative gearing, the tax benefits don't sit in the home you live in, they're in the investment property. So you want to keep all those expenses while you've got other other expenses where you need to funnel towards other debts. 
Yeah, back back when I first bought my home, the interest rates were the same. So interest only or principal interest, the interest rate was exactly the same. And so I went interest only. I, I found a better use of that money somewhere else. And then when the bank, well, when there were when there were some changes and, and the banks came and said, we're going to charge you more for that interest only loan, then I moved it to principal and interest and said, look, the, the cost the increased cost for an interest only just didn't make sense for my situation. So I was able to allocate more money towards that loan. But um, yeah, it really does depend on your, on your overall cost. If you're overstretching yourself to get into that property, first of all, maybe not a great idea anyway, um, but you may need to start the first few years interest only. And then, you know, after three, four, five years, yeah. go to principal and interest. The background behind that was APRA tapped the banks on the shoulders. So the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority or whatever it stands for, basically wanted to slow down the investing market essentially in Australia, and they said to the banks, uh, because most people would buy an investment property, you know, negatively geared, get the property, pay interest only so the property grows in value, and then you never pay the property off, quote unquote, but you sell it at a profit. So they said, if you want interest only loan, it is a higher interest rate. And so for, for me at the moment, my home, and if you can hear a dog barking, there's a yacht moored next to us and there's a couple of little doggies on there um, and you know my home and my investment properties are principal and interest because I've taken the view that I would rather have this forced savings and paying down my loan and and this is why you really need to make sure when you're talking with mortgage brokers and I would recommend you know you do have a chat with John Pigeon and maybe do a clarity call and really look at your situation because some mortgage brokers, and there's hundreds and hundreds of mortgage brokers, some by default, if you go and see them to get a pre-approval for an investment loan, they might automatically assume that you want it interest only. So, I think you just have to be informed and ask the questions. Do you want to add anything else on this? No, that's all no, good. I think, no, I think, yeah. I think we're good no, there. You yeah, nailed thanks, it, buddy. <laughs> thanks for the dead air. Killed Sorry, it. I was just, um, You're just enjoying I was, looking, I was, I was looking for that bull shark again. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to get Phil to go for a swim. Um, Melbourneian, just coax him in. Yeah, look at, look at my white legs. Yeah, but we're saying Very to Phil murky. that when I was up here last time, in the, like we were anchored here fishing, there was a, a shark attack over on the other side at um, like Sunshine, so... But Phil doesn't believe it. I still don't believe you. I think yeah. you're taking the mickey out. No, Google it. Lake Macquarie shark attack. Gail Bryant, and this is now, you know, the question is if you're in your 50s and have no assets except for some super and then receive an inheritance, is it better to invest in property or shares? Now, you might be thinking, why are we talking about my millennial money with a 50 year old? And the reason I want to um, talk about this is we have many listeners from age 18 to 65 to 66, and we can all learn from all situations, okay? So, thanks for listening, Gail. So, I think it's worth noting that an investment property in shares are above the line and they're growth assets. So, there will be risk involved. There will be different ways to obtain that. And, you know, we're on my boat. It's a... It's a Sea Ray 240 Sun Deck, uh, if you want to have a look at that. And, you know... 7.4 litre engine. Yeah, it's V8. A big, big block V8. Yeah, big um, boy. Now, it, it would be similar to be saying like, 
oh, I've just got this inheritance. Um, I want to get a boat. Just give me any boat. But we need to actually say, well, what do you want to do on the water? Do you want to sleep under the carrier? Where this is a bit of a party boat. It's a bow rider. We're sitting at the front of it. So I think it's more working out, like, do you have an appetite to buy a property and manage tenants? Is there an appetite that I don't want to manage my money and put a lot of effort into it? And do I put some in super? Do you want to do you want to sell some of it later? Yeah. Do you want to use some of that capital for other reasons? Like yeah. there are pros and cons for both property and shares, and it's just depending on your overall situation and, and kind of what you know what that next five, ten, twenty years looks like, and how do you get those assets to to work towards those goals? It would be important, James, when you get a client, regardless of their age, if they if they said to you like because the age really doesn't matter. So if someone said. I've got no assets, I've got some super and I'm about to get an inheritance. What's the first thing you would say? Well, we, I mean, we become a bit like a broken record on this because we're very heavily, go back to your goals, let's get super clear on everything that's important to you and and then make decisions that align with that. So if you're really clear on the life you want to live and everything that's going on for you, then can align your money decisions your financial plan, whether it's DIY and you're just making calls or we're doing it with you, then is going to work far better, right? And so, if um, no debt but no assets, is that the scenario? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you need to make sure if you're working and you can fund your lifestyle and everything is under control for the next 10, 20 years until you actually plan on retiring, then I would say super, without a doubt, is the best place for it. Well, I'd probably be asking the question. It's like, are you renting? Do you want to own a house? Is there enough inheritance mm. to buy a house outright first? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, if and you, living yeah, that I guess house. I'm not thinking about the house part. Yeah. So, that's the no assets part that we need to, yeah, we need to yeah. make sure of. So, yeah, if you get, I mean, if you get to super and at worst you've got a house that you've paid off, uh, sorry, if you get to retirement and you've got a house paid off, then there's an asset that doesn't count towards Centrelink. Um, so if that's the only thing you have, might, maybe you've got some super and then you, your age pension kicks in, well, you'll be okay to a point if you're used to living on a lower lower level of income. Um, yeah, if you had a house and then you've got, if you, depending on the size of the inheritance, if, you can, if you've got spare money, I think as far as retirement goes, there is no better place than having some money like right up to at the moment $1.6 million in super because the whole thing's tax-free. Yeah, totally. We'll have a quick break and I just need to turn the bilge pump on because we're actually taking on a bit of water. We've got a leak in the boat. <laughs> I don't know if I told you guys, but we, we might <laughs> not sinking. be making it back. But um, I'm going to quickly unturn that on. We'll have a break and then we're going to talk about how this person's living off cash only and they want to buy a home and a bit of psychology with money. So we'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, we're back. Um, You know, drain the, the bilge. And we're, we're still afloat. Uh, <laughs> we had to get the buckets out. We had to, yeah, bail, bail, bail. Um, and we'll see you on the news tonight, Mum. 
So there's a question here from Talia. Hi team, I save my money in cash because it's the only way for me to not spend it quickly when I'm out and just leave it at home. So like physically cash, like will this affect me if I want to buy a home? So ultimately to get a home, James, because you guys do a bit of mortgages in sufficient funds, you need two things. You need a deposit and an income. And a lot of the time, if you've got some savings, they're going to need to see a savings record. Yeah, that's right. So, in this instance, I would probably say to Talia that absolutely your day-to-day money, if you want to operate in cash because that's how you save it, that's awesome. But I think there's a strong argument to get an online bank account that's not in your day-to-day banking or whatever and literally just have it out of sight, out of mind because then when you want to save and buy a house you've got a proven track record that you're transferring money over to that account and then there's less chance of your house getting broken into and 20 grand getting stolen and it's just a little more secure and you can really have that savings record. Yeah, I think the thing for banks is they're going to be looking at what, or can we see a, tra- a trail? Or can we, like, can you prove where your deposit is, right? And so, it doesn't have to be sitting in the bank account. It could be in shares or it could be in some somewhere else, but ultimately... If it's in cash, you can't prove it. But I would say like that strategy, um, it would be that sure, if you did save 30 grand in physical cash at home, it would have to be sitting in a savings account for probably at least three months to prove to the bank that it is genuine savings. 100%. And I guess, you know, the bank might ask questions. It depends how far back you go. But yeah, I mean, I think six months would be really safe. Three months, you'd probably be okay, depending on where you're applying to. Um... But the mortgage broker is still going to have to ask a lot of questions around that to cover themselves as well to understand where that came from. And but if you can, I mean, you you would be able to show that you t- you're making a whole bunch of ATM withdrawals right after you get paid. So I'm sure you could make that work, and it doesn't look dodgy. But the idea is you're just going to make it a lot easier for yourself if you've saved it and you can show that. And on top of that, like if you're getting paid straight into your bank account and pulling that money out of the bank. The bank, when you go for the loan, are going to assume you're spending all that money. Um, so, y- your actual expenses has an impact on your loan and, and your ability to borrow money. And so, you've got to explain, well, I'm taking $1,000 a week out of my bank account. The banks are going to want to know, wh- where's that money going? Yeah. And it's um, there are instances like if, if you're paying rent, uh, some lenders and banks will take in uh, consistent rent as a type of genuine savings. But... And this is the whole thing. And this is why you just have to get individual, I don't know, advice on your own circumstances. And don't leave it to the last minute. Like if you want to go to an auction tomorrow, uh, don't have cash at home and not a pre-approval. Like yeah, talk to someone early because as James says, the banks might want to see six months of good records. So you might need to start changing your behaviours for the next six months before you, you're ready to buy. If you, um, you, know, if you trust your mum or someone else, give it to them, right? You can show, that, you can show the paper trail that way instead. And they can hold it for you. Yeah, but I would seriously just get an online ca- bank account. Don't yeah, have but it on you, your phone. But you've got no card. You don't take the card out with you. It's the same thing. Yeah, totally. So thanks for that question, uh, Talia. Sabrina, and this is kind of a similar one. Uh, the psychology behind money. I love this one. Like why I feel like I can't save, so I don't even attempt to, if that makes sense. So just total defeatist can't be bothered, I can't save, I've given up. And I'll, I'll probably say like from a um, 
a mental health type scenario, for me, like I've probably just come out of maybe three weeks of a bit of a depressed lull, okay? And I know I'm not in a right space when I'm not cooking fresh meals for dinner. So I was just, you know, getting light and easy and um, going lean cuisine and just, I just could not be bothered. I just don't care. And for me, that spoke to, I'm just not in that right headspace. And then I got out of it and got, you know, encouraged again. So I would probably say, you know, if you think you are unhappy or sad, speak to your GP because often our outward actions can be a reflection of inside what's going on. Uh, but more of a practical to the point, do you think you just don't like uh, Sabrina just might not have a solid goal and getting excited about putting her money to something and not having a system in place? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it speaks to exactly that. What is What motivates you? Mm. And, you know, if it's not something more serious that, that, you know, you need some medical help with or to talk to someone about, then it might just be that you don't have a focus for it and so why bother? And I mean, we've all been there, right? So you know what it what it's like to be fully focused. I know when we first were, you know, we got engaged or we were saving for that first place, we were trying to do it all at once. We were earning maybe 35 grand a year each, my wife or fiance and I at the time, and we were pumping away like 60, 70% of that at the time because it was hugely motivating to, and we, we didn't have a choice, right? We were trying to pull it all together with not a lot of time. So things like that will drive you. Absolutely. You just got to find them. Yeah. Do you have any wise words for that, Phil? Yeah. I mean, managing money, it's all psychology at the end of the day. Like, and, and kind of everything we do is just kind of managing our mind, really. Like being motivated at work and, and your workplace is all about, you know, having a good understanding about yourself, what motivates you. And it's the same with money. Um, it all comes back to having that kind of, that focus. What do you want to achieve? Um, and yeah, me, me and my wife are exact same situation. When we wanted to travel overseas, we saved every dollar we could because we knew exactly what we wanted that money to go towards and we don't have that goal it is infinitely more difficult yeah and and i hate to be the broken record but there's been literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who have completed the glenn james spending plan and had a system in place that was easy and they just started saving money because there was an automated system in in place so i don't know maybe reach out sabrina and um yeah, flick us an email, glenn.james at sortyourmoneyout.com. And um, Glenn will give it to you for free. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just give it that away. Boys yeah, you're welcome. Um, so, the last question. Anyone got any problems they need solving? Yeah, that's right. So, free spending plan. The last uh, floating question on the boat um, Karina says, How do you improve your borrowing capacity? So, it goes back to what I said before, wasn't it, James? There's two things that you need for a mortgage. Income and a deposit. Yeah. Yeah, so the banks are looking at how much equity is it going to be, so how much you're putting in, and borrowing capacity really is going to come down to your earnings. So the flip side of that is how much income you have. So really, um, there's there's two ways to do it. There's reducing your expenses, 
because banks are now more and more looking at not just what's coming in at the top, but what's also going out. And you have to disclose fairly in fairly good detail how much you're actually spending. And they'll look at that. So they're looking at the last six months of your spending in most cases now. That's one thing APRO didn't like is when banks didn't care about that yeah. in the past. Yeah. How much you're earning. doesn't matter if you spend every cent of it. Yeah. You yeah. just need to know that you've got it and we'll tick that box. Hey, um, but also consumer debt, you know, loosely speaking, every 10 grand of credit card account open, doesn't have to be fully drawn, or personal loans uh, could take 40 grand of borrowing capacity. So this is why it's important, guys. Like if you do want to borrow and buy your first home or an investment property, I think your first goal is to clean up any consumer debt, get a plan in place, uh, because clearing debt could be just as good as saving money when it comes to uh, getting a bank loan. Yeah, there's plenty of times when, you know, people people will have a credit card, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars and they're like, Well, it's cleared every single month. Well, that's not the issue for the banks. The banks care about how much can you actually use in the future. And so just reducing that credit card limit down to whatever you need, five grand, will yeah, will significantly increase your borrowing capacity. Yeah, totally. So I mean that's that's a good um, bunch of questions and I'm I'm just kind of looking back today. I mean a lot of it it is that goals, it is that mindset, it is that, you know, what do you want to do? Because there's realistically, there's really only ever five questions that we kind of answer in all different ways on this. And it's got to do with income, expenses, debt, property, shares, budgeting, you know what I mean? Like it's, um, and this is the magical thing, like everyone's got such a unique situation and every client you've ever sat with, James and Phil, like there's never one exact same response. I mean, even that question before about shares or property, you guys were just talking about it and there was like, you know, four or five different options and and really our conversation was about, you know, what does a client want to achieve? What are they, what are their goals and objectives? And then, you know, work it out from there. So, that's why it's super important to get advice around these things and, and professional advice um, and guidance, you know, you, if you do want to DIY, um, yeah, just being really clear on your goals and objectives. Mm. Have any final thoughts, James? Well, I mean, I think it's exactly that. Like if you can get really clear up front on everything you want to be doing and you don't have to know everything. And I think this is kind of what we say in these defining sufficient sessions that we're doing with clients up front is spending this time getting clear on all of these things, but it also giving them permission to understand that you don't have to know exactly what the rest of your life looks like, but where where there's question marks, you need to be aware of those. So we... We have, I mean, you know, if we think about your listeners and the introductions we're getting from you, Glenn, we do receive a lot of them are driven by women and a lot of single women who are saying, look, I might be, I might have a partner in the next few years. What if this changes? But often there's that resounding, I want to be set up and independent and, and make sure that I'm fully bringing whatever it is to the relationship. This is me and this is my work and this is everything I've done. But if you do suddenly partner up and this goes for single guys as well, all of a sudden that could change, well, that's fine. We just leave that part of the plan flexible. So if you're DIYing this same thing, you've got to be aware of what you do know. You can plan for that right now. What you don't know, just be aware of how your changing decisions over time can impact the life that you want to live and the money just needs to align with that. Yeah, so like with planning, like a lot of people don't know what, you know, like I've got a good income, I'm in this bit of a, I'm kind of happy, I want to do, you know, good things with my money. I mean, surely there's this discussion about we need to be agile if 
you know, in three month time, you do decide that you want to buy an investment property or something like, so when you are coaching clients, how set in stone do you make plans with clients? Well, I guess if you're talking about investing, I mean, you really need to be keeping enough flexibility around those parts where there's question marks. So, I mean, if we're, if we're on the fence, if a client's on the fence between maybe buying an investment property or not, I mean, generally, I guess the good thing about buying an investment property, in, in many cases, you've already got maybe equity in a home and you don't necessarily need a deposit. And so, there's often a scenario where the client might have 50 grand in the bank, for example, uh, and they're saying, well, do I use that for investing in shares or do I use it for a property? Um, and if you're open to both, well, you could be maybe doing both if you have enough equity to borrow against the home that you already have, you could then take those sh- the, the 50 grand and go straight into shares. Mm. And so, I guess it depends, but you got to, you've got to keep flexibility. If you're not really sure, I mean, Do you think, three months isn't a long time. You yeah. just, just stop and wait. Yeah, and then you, if you're not sure and you need, you know that you know that you don't need this money for anything and it needs to go to work. Do you go on an eighty percent? Like, yeah, I'm eighty percent sure that I don't want to buy a house. So I'll do a share portfolio. Like, I think because it can't be a hundred because I don't think we're ever sure of anything. Um, I don't know. But in the plan, you just build in those question marks. If there's question marks in the next 12 months, you just go, okay, well then let's just dial down our exposure to property that's that's illiquid. We're not going to be able to buy and sell very quickly. So let's just hold off on that and let's just invest, you know, in a you know defensive portfolio for the next 12 months until we get clearer on what your goals look like and then let's revisit it then okay do we now go into property or do we continue to go into shares and you know dial up into growth assets within that share portfolio it's kind of the more que- the way i look at it is the more question marks in the future um the the more flexibility we need to build into that plan yeah totally all right, we might leave you there. Thanks, everyone, for having a listen today while we have a yarn on the bow of the boat. And next week, we've got two episodes dropping. Uh, I sat down with Phil last night and we did two two-hour episodes just on insurance. So if you've got questions about life insurance, TPD insurance, trauma insurance, income protection, next week, you're going to have a eargasm. <laughs> That's the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know it. All right, ta-ta. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorised representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services licence 451289.
Um, we should do an after party. So an after party like? we just, just chat, chat after okay, the cool. it was an after party. We're actually passively smoking from the boat. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. Gosh. Yeah. So there's these people Who, who's with the, the yacht. Crew? Who's not, the crew? Not the good smoker. Who's either. the crew next to us, Glenn? Oh, there's some. Looks like there's a few people. Bit of a girls' catch up on a yacht. A couple of dogs there, and uh, yeah, we're getting lots of passive smoke. I mean, it's probably only 15 meters away. <laughs> and his pool bar is it swim pool, up bar? Pool, island? pool yeah, bar. <laughs> pool bar island. Um, <laughs> man, I don't think it's going to rain. But there's a few clouds forming. So what do you guys think of the boat? Good investment or what? Yeah, Wonderful. You got a- kidding me? You spent $200,000 on it. Oh, good. T- <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone. It was like... <laughs> Money well spent. It was like 25 grand. Went halves with a mate. Preying on people during COVID by yeah. the sound of it. No, he was upgrading the good. The dude is getting <laughs> another boat. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if it starts and we get going, it's going to be a bonus. Bonus. So, um, <laughs> as long as we don't get towed back. I know, right? Good. We've got a party boat next to us to help out if we need. Yeah, the party yacht. Love that. Um, so, what have you guys got planned for the rest of the what year? What are you doing, Fairy Star? Millard? Uh, I'm coming up to hang out in Newcastle with the in-laws and uh, our young family. Cool. I'm here with family. I've got a, got a family event, family reunion with like 100 cousins, second cousins, third cousins. That's what I like about having family all over the... All over the world, we don't have to do family reunions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll probably be. I've got to edit this podcast because Nate's not in until Tuesday, and it's on, he took today off, and I didn't record this took earlier. Today off. Yeah, he wanted. It me? was an RDO. RDO. Yeah, I give the team RDOs. We do that, and um, I was supposed to record this episode earlier in the week with Matt Hawkins, and then the next day Nate was going to edit it on. Tuesday or Wednesday before he took um, today off and um, we got on one night and I, I had hiccups I just couldn't record I'm like this is ridiculous so I said alright well I'll just have to do an episode over the weekend with the boys and I'll edit it myself on uh, on the weekend to get it up for Tuesday probably best case not having Hawks on if, if you're listening yeah, Hawks I'm yeah. not sure about that one yeah no he's a good guy <laughs> <laughs> um He's so a, he's a good guy. We don't want. To. So we're planning he's, this. But he's from Tassie. So he's, that's, yeah. That's so we're planning good, this. Um, the first time I've kind of loosely announced it. If you're still a hardcore listener and you listen to this crap, we're we're planning a M3 national tour. So everyone, get ready. Wait, you've announced it on the Facebook group, haven't no, you? Just not public. Like just little comments here okay. and there. Like not major announcing. Just softening the blow. So we're looking uh, end of May. We're going to start in Canberra because I'm going to, I think I'm going to budget night at Parliament House. Woohoo. And then. Wow. Yeah. In lockdown. No, they're not locked down. They're not locked down. Not right now. No, no, no. no but don't, no. But the, the oh, journal is no. going to lockdown. No, I'm not going to. Lo- the- yeah, no, no. I'm not going to lockdown. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll just be with one of the MPs that we know down there. Okay. Um, so you're know, not that important just yet. Uh, you know. You're going to lockdown in the next few years. Yeah, maybe. But I don't need to get a freaking lockdown. So anyway, I'll just go down. Watch it there, catch up with a few people, and then on the Thursday night, on the Friday night, we'll do an M3 live. And the next week, we'll go to, uh, I think we're doing Brisbane, and then we'll do Hobart, then we'll do Adelaide, Perth, then we'll do Melbourne, then we'll finish at Sydney. Woohoo. Yeah, so sorry if you're the three people that listen in Darwin. 
um, fly to Perth or something like that. So yeah, we're just finalising some partners to help um, take us on the road. And, and so basically because of this COVID thing, um, I can't kind of do back to back. So I've got to do one a week. So if, you know, they close Adelaide, we don't have three flights of four people going through a town. Yeah. So actually, I just got an email while we're recording. Because I'm going it's to be more expensive for you and the team. Oh, it's going to cost a bomb. And yeah. forward. But we'll, we'll charge, you know, and provide dinner and drinks and all that. Um, Wait, dinner? Yeah, we we do food at the events. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Pizzas and So I'm, yeah. I'm going yeah, to yeah. Melbourne on <laughs> Monday night. I'm flying down to Melbourne on Monday night. I just got an email. You're welcome to stay out in the bush if you want. No, I'm cool. Um, <laughs> Bring your e-bike. The hotel, <laughs> the hotel I have booked... They've just turned it into a hotel quarantine. Oh. So we can't accommodate your booking. However, however, we can make other arrangements and put you in the Sofitel at Collins. I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll stay at the Sofi. Same price. Same price, there baby. You go. Um, 10 something. Yeah. Um, Probably right in the middle. 25 Collins Street. Oh, there you go. Sofitel. It's, about, it's a nice building. I've stayed there before. Um, so I'm just going to write back Sofitel sounds great. Melbourne. COVID capital of Australia. Yeah, they'll get you. Mm. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, what is it, Thursday now? A lot can change over the yeah. weekend. You know, if someone's... Someone, can f- someone from Brizzy. Yeah, so who knows? All right, let's have some Doritos and, uh, yeah, have a cruise. Pluck let's this chicken. Let's go for a swim. Let's pluck this chicken. Swim are you going to jump in? Well, if, there, if there's no sharks here... Well, well, I can't see any bloody sharks, but they swim underneath the water. I think we should jump in. Why don't you be cold when you get out with the wind? Yeah, but I, I mean, that's fine. The sun, Do you have a towel? I brought a towel. No, I, someone, a towel. I saw you brought a towel. Yeah, but that's just in case it gets wet for yeah, me that's later. Right. <laughs> no, I'll use that. We're all that's friends. Um, well, yeah, so if if you go and you're pulling the swim, because the boat's got a swim deck. God. And it's got <laughs> this huge boat. Um, the ladder. No wonder it costs you 200k to buy this. Oh, thing. yeah, I wish. Um, Glenn's just pouring Aperol spritzes while we're off the boat. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, anyway. All right. Seize. Bye. Don't get killed by sharks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 